it's Eric Miskell, and welcome to this edition of the Eric Miskell Show. Uh, as always, I'm joined by Phil Stoughton from Down Under. Um, and today we're tackling the issue that uh, has kind of confounded the industry seemingly for at least a year, uh, and that being the material supply chain challenges being uh, experienced throughout, across the industry, across the globe. Um, joining us today, uh, two guests, uh, uh, first time on the show today joining us is Lynn Terrell with Flex. Lynn is the Chief Procurement and Supply Chain Officers with Flex. And Don Akery, uh, backed by popular demand, is the president of TTI Americas. So Lynn, Don, thank you both for taking the time to join us today and your willingness to share your insights and opinions on what's happening in this area. Um, as always, I'd like to give you each a chance to introduce yourselves. And uh, Lynn, I'll begin with you if you want to say a few words about who you are and who Flex is. Great. Well, thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So as you said, I am Chief Procurement and Supply Chain Officer at Flex. Flex is a global electronic manufacturing services provider and logistics provider. Basically, we build product for other companies. We also help with their design. Uh, but we have a, a massive global presence where we do uh, manufacturing. I'm responsible for our direct and indirect procurement, freight and logistics, inventory management, our strategic supply chain programs that we have in place to support our customers, as well as our innovation in supply chain. So Flex, $25 billion company. We have about 1,000 customers that we support about 160,000 employees across 30 countries. And when we're looking at our supply base, it's about 16,000 suppliers that we work with. And that translates into a million SKUs in our supply chain. So uh, a rather uh, sophisticated, large and complex supply chain. I joined Flex in October of 2019. Uh, and prior to that, I had been with Avnet for 25 years an electronics distributor. Uh, so I've been, spent my career in high tech uh, and a great, great company that I get to represent here today. Mm -hmm. And with that many responsibilities, safe to assume you haven't slept in many months then. With <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess nobody expects to be four months into a job and mm. have a global pandemic followed by you know, multiple supply chain crises that we face since then. I like to think that I learned fast, uh, you know, in, in the new role. And we've been really as agile as we can in, in just continuing to adapt to the situation that we're facing each day. Excellent. Well, thank you. Don, allow you, sir. Yep. Uh, I'm president of uh, TTI's business in the Americas. I also sit on the corporate staff as a staff for strategy across the family of companies. TTI is, you know, there is a brand that we go to market with that's about a three and a half billion dollar entity uh, across the globe. We also own Mauser Electronics, which has grown from 50 million to this year uh, over 3 billion. Uh, and then we own Sager Electronics and then a collection of semiconductor companies that we've been specialty semiconductor companies that we've pulled together over the past few years uh, with this specialty model. We don't distribute everything. We uh, limit the line card, uh, able to inventory at a deeper level and go to market. I'll say slightly different than some of the broad line 
uh, distributors. We've chosen to go with a family of companies or a family of specialists. Uh, I've been with the company for about 10 years, but been in the industry, uh, all in electronic component distribution since 1984. Okay. And you had said before that you, uh, TTI just announced an acquisition yesterday. You want to mention yeah, yeah, cor correct. It's just now uh, being made public. We bought uh, another distributor, uh, about a $50 million distributor based out of uh, Irvine, California, SMD. Uh, again, a specialty model, uh, somebody that we've been watching for quite a while. We're not really known to be that acquisitive, but the truth is if you were to go back and look at the history, we've acquired about 30 companies uh, ourselves. Uh, again, not to, to grow the top line, but more to enhance the technology or the specialization uh, okay. uh, from the companies that were already in. Okay, thank you. Listen, let me kick this off. Um, I've heard it said here recently that the component crisis is not discriminating across the board. It's pretty much hitting all areas, right? You both have an interesting perspective on this. So I'd like to ask you, and maybe Lynn, start with you kind of, how are the shortages impacting all the different areas? What, what are you seeing? Yeah, we are definitely seeing uh, a significant impact from uh, supply chain shortages that we're experiencing. We go to market across multiple segments. So we have a very broad view. So in our agility business model, you know, we have our consumer electronic and cloud space, consumer devices, um, lifestyle products. We also are in automotive, health solutions and industrial. So a broad range of uh, customers that we are supporting. And, uh, you know, just about every customer is, is being impacted by those shortages. It's, it's a day-to-day -day, uh, challenge to resolve the shortage, to continue to manufacture. And we work on that, but they continue to, to be impacted. And probably we saw, you know, the, you know, the first major wave of this beginning in January where we saw some allocation from some suppliers and, and some uh, decommits taking place where orders were pushed out. Um, and since January, I know it's been kind of one shock to the system since we've gone through there. If you think about the severe weather in Texas and the implications that that had, earthquake in Japan, to not, um, the, the fire at the Renaissance factory, the Suez Canal, COVID outbreaks in Southeast Asia, freight and logistics challenges. Um, so it's just kind of been this ongoing impact to the supply chain that's that's resulted in these, these shortages that have, have continued. I think despite that, um, you know, everybody working very collaboratively, both with our customers to, you know, looking at their demand and their critical needs, working closely with our suppliers to help you know, really highlight the, the required components to keep lines running and to keep our customers satisfied. We've, we've been able to manage, uh, I would say quite successfully through all those challenges. Um, but it is tiring to your point that mm. I, I don't sleep much. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy situation, Lynn. And I've spoken to, and talk about not discriminating, I've spoken to EMS companies of, you know, the size of Flex down to much, much smaller ones. And one of the things that I hear kind of when we're, when we're just chatting is it's putting a, a, a new tension on customer relationships. Certainly at the smaller end, I'm hearing people saying, customers are just calling up and saying, 
get us our stuff. We don't care how you do it. That's kind of your problem, um, which doesn't really make sense because it's a global shortage. Are you are you seeing an additional tension there? You have really deep relationships with your customers. So um, does that help? Well, I think the relationships, it, you know, it's always a bit of a relationship build business. You, you, mm. you build up those relationships after working with people for many years. There's certainly tension. You know, everybody wakes up, you know, whether it be the, the customer flex or suppliers, everybody wakes up wanting to support your customers. Um, and nobody likes to have the difficult conversations. And there is tension, especially when it's, you know, looking at the potential financial impact that this will have on a business. Um, so while there, there's tension, I, I hope and always try to lead in a very collaborative uh, manner to understand this is global in nature and, mm. and we are doing everything that we can to support and trying to pull people together for that common good. Because I also worry a little bit about, not a little bit, I, I worry quite a bit about attrition of employees. This is, um, yeah. you know, it's a very challenging time when every day is a, a difficult discussion. Um, yeah. So we're, we continue to try and motivate our employees, motivate our suppliers uh, to help us help our customers. And the other interesting phenomenon is there's a lot of customers who now have electronic content in their products that did not have electronic content before. So when you think about that explosion of uh, content that we're talking about, so while this isn't my first semiconductor cycle that I've uh, worked through or, or a lot of you know my colleagues and customers, it is for some of our customers. This is the first mm -hmm. cycle that they've kind of experienced. So we wanna work really um, closely with them to, to share our knowledge and our best practices for how to manage through the situation. Yeah, and just keeping them informed, I guess. Don, what are you, what are you seeing in, in the market? What are you, how, how are you viewing this? Yeah, yeah, if you look at it, I mean, obviously all the things Lynn brought up, I'll say the challenges that, you know, when she listed them that way, it, it made me tired thinking, okay, we, we, we had to live through all of those things. I'd forgotten about some already, but you, you got to remember, you know, the, the supply chain shortage that we're in now is is sheer demand so i look at it a little differently that uh, you know we sell across all the segments we sell to you know the family of companies hundreds of thousands of customers across across the world and i watch the demand from each of those segments i can tell you all of those segments are up with the exception of commercial air commercial air took the hit with boeing uh, while I say it's not up, it's flat actually now. So it's come back to that level. Uh, but, you know, segments, you know, the EMS segment that everybody, uh, you know, listening in on, on this podcast here um, is, you know, that piece of it is up, uh, you know, 20, 25% for us. Uh, but that's not the fastest growing segment of the business. Automotive transportation is up closer to 50%, even as it's trended down industrial which is you don't think of it it's typically a a single digit low single digit growth uh, it'll be greater than 25 percent growth uh this year uh and then you know just down the list even medical with what happened uh, i'll say in 2020 with ventilators and medical devices uh that's up year over year even on top of i'll say the windfall orders that came in so that sheer demand is really what started it. And then you add the, 
you know, the pandemic on top of it, where suppliers had to shut down factories. Uh, I'll say, you know, the word resilience was used earlier. Uh, that's what I would describe the entire electronic component supply chain. Uh, you know, combination of our suppliers, distributors, uh, the uh, EMS uh, customer, uh, companies, they've done an unbelievable job through this cycle, different than in past cycles. You know, if you look at it, that collaboration, you know, I've been through quite a few of these cycles also, and some of them have been very, I'm going to say brutal. They became very adversarial. Uh, relationships were severed. Uh, it's not that way. Uh, uh, yes, I'm involved in a lot of expedites trying to find products, but it's, uh, it's a more collaborative process. Nobody's pounding on a table. Uh, I think part of it is the media attention in the broader world has made more people understanding that it's not just them. Uh, it's everybody. It's everybody who's been through a cycle or not been through a cycle. Yeah, because it's not just the supply chain for electronics that's that's having problems. It's you know it's everything we're hearing about construction companies that can't get timber and all kinds of other things. And you know if you want to do your Christmas shopping, you should have probably done it two or three months ago for this year because everything's everything's difficult. What I'm curious about is we've got a kind of, uh, we've got a component issue and we've got a logistics issue at the same time, Lynn, you talked about um, the logistics and transport side. How big an impact is the is the difficulty in logistics? You know, the, the 50 or so ships queued up outside of um, uh, Los Angeles port. How, how much is that compounding problems? Well, it, it certainly is causing additional challenges. I know every dollar value of every product that I have that's on each, each one of those ships. Um, but one of the things, you know, this, it didn't happen overnight either. We saw the, the lead times moving out and the transit times increasing. So we built that into our models. <clears throat> so as we're purchasing and bringing product in, we're taking that into consideration <clears throat> and in some cases, it's not able to do 100% because you know, there are some times when it's, it's longer than what we would expect, but it's certainly adding um, you know, pressure to cash when you're talking about you know, funding inventory a much longer time when it's in transit versus being able to transform it. Yeah, I think that whole um, cash impact work in progress you know, amount of product in shipment is a, a huge issue for a lot of companies, particularly some of the smaller EMS companies. I've spoken to companies who have, you know, pretty much doubled their work in progress inventory and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, cash employed, which is, which is phenomenal in terms of impact. Yeah, we actually discovered, I think it was maybe two weeks ago, I was highlighted, we had some, we were late making some payments. And when we checked into it, it was blocked invoices because we hadn't received the product yet because yeah. it had been delayed in transit. Uh, so those unknown events that come up during a time like this, you just have to, you know, it raises up. It's an issue. You've got to figure out how to address it immediately and then how to um, prevent it from happening in the future. Yeah, I think what was really good about what Don said is is the is the feeling that people are being more collaborative this time. That it's not such a adversarial relationship. Is that because, you know, I think I think one of the things the pandemic told us was that we need to collaborate. We need to work together to get through these solutions. So we we were already predisposed to be perhaps a little bit more open and a little bit more honest and collaborative with our partners. Does that 
Is that what you're seeing as well, Lynn? There's a there's a desire just to roll up sleeves and work on it together rather than fight each other over it? I think that probably is, is a good point. And actually, when you reflect upon 2020, it all of the challenges we were going through at the time, uh, it, it was more about a lack of visibility than a lack of supply. But what you know, we went through, every factory in the world, every factory that Flex had, it shut down, it reopened. We you know, started you know, making sure we had PPE for employees. We changed all of our manufacturing uh, facilities to enable social distancing. That includes transportation, that includes going to the cafeteria. You know, every aspect of our operations were changed in every one of our facilities around the world. And that did have an impact at, for a period of time on output. Well, our suppliers were all doing the same thing. And I know in early days when we were trying to understand the scope of, of the impact, we, would, we contacted all of our suppliers and asked you know, to reconfirm purchase orders. And some of the initial answers we got were, you know, I'd love to tell you, but I can't get into back into my factory yet, or I can't get into the office to be able to understand where it was. We had a bit of a benefit because it was after Chinese New Year, so I, there was a bit of inventory built up that mm. kind of kept the lines running until such time as we were able to, you know, come back in to the facilities, get the information from our suppliers. But during that time, it, it was rapidly changing as, as COVID spread, you know, it impacted all of our suppliers. We um, developed a sort of a playbook of how to address it when it was taking going into each country and how we could number one, protect our employees, but then work really collaboratively with our customers and our suppliers. And, you know, going through all of 2020 and, and being able to achieve what was achieved, facing the shortages that we experienced beginning of 2021. And here we are, you know, uh, months later, almost the almost a year that we've been dealing with this, we've shown a tremendous amount of resiliency in mm. managing these supply chains. And I do think it is partially, you know, like you mentioned, the collaboration of, of people just having gone through a lot and understanding that, um, you know, it, it's it's very technical how we get through this, and we have to be very detailed in the information flow rather than you know pounding on a table like Don said that. It's really not taking place. People are understanding. Um, and it's it's actually kind of funny for probably the first time in my career, my family understands what I actually do for a living, you know? <laughs> yeah, because the term supply chain is on mainstream media for a change. Yeah. Exactly. In fact, there was uh, some severe weather a few weeks ago. My mom called and she wanted to, she's like, is everything okay? And it, was, it happened to be in New York and my sister lives in New York. And I said, well, mom, it's Leslie, you know? And she goes, no, I mean about your job. Is everything okay with the weather? And I'm like, okay, now they get it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hey, Don, so from a systems perspective with everybody that, you know, I, we're talking about the supply chain and the, the technology behind it and people being out. So how have the systems held up How have they, for, for TTI and dealing with it? Well, and, and if, if you look at our business, I mean, if you look at the TTI model itself, you got to remember it was built on the lowest cost components on the board. Paul Andrews, who, when he started the company, we started distributing resistors, the least expensive component on the board. Then he went to capacitors, the second least huh. expensive uh, uh, cost. Uh, right now in the Americas, 
we'll do 1.75 billion, our average resale, less than eight cents. Think about that. We ship billions of pieces. So our, our, our computer systems were built for large volume transactions. So, you know, no issues whatsoever. You know, we've invested, we run, TTI runs on one system, Mauser runs on a, a separate system, but a very similar system. Uh, but their models a little bit differently. Uh, so, you know, from I'll say the core processors and uh, transaction engine, no issues whatsoever. I will tell you where we've seen, and you, you guys, we've talked about it before, uh, the, uh, I'll say, digital transformation between us, our suppliers, and our customers. We saw that accelerate. You know, I'll, I'll say the a APIs have been a big push for us because we see the benefit, that transparency, getting the information to the customers as quickly as possible. Our customer engagements are up tenfold from how we started the year. So think about that. It's a huge increase to our customers. We couldn't, we were trying to educate them on APIs. Look, hook up into us. You know, they, they immediately think about getting a price, but it, now the supply chain issues, it's I've got lead times. I've got inventory. I've got those things when they change, they, they have instant access. So uh, again, system-wise, I've seen huge advancements uh, in the tools that, uh, you know, all customers, suppliers, uh, have, have invested quite a bit more. So I see that as a huge positive that's come out yeah. of this. It'll continue to go further up the supply chain. You know, right now, uh, I'll say uh, the supply chain and electronic components, everybody is now wanting to go back to the materials all the way back up. Uh, and you'll, we'll see that develop nicely over the next few years uh, as, you know, we're able to pass that through from our suppliers factories all the way to the flex or to the the OEM uh, who's doing the manufacturing. And that's where everybody wants us to go. Data is a huge part of it, Lynn. That's it. <clears throat> you have, um, so we're a long way from spreadsheets. You have big mm -hmm. systems in place. That must be, is there is there like a control tower? Is there something that you're looking at every day that allows you to drill down into every component that's late, short? So much. So my, 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 I've got a screen over here that I can look at from mm -hmm. a CTI perspective that I can get to a part number level, how many we yeah. have, how many are coming in, how many are committed. Uh, and and <clears throat> I'm sure Flex, that information is probably to the nth degree. It really is to the nth degree. And we have our um, system that we developed uh, internally, it's called Pulse. It started in, we started development in 2015. So we're, and it's been a continuous investment and innovation since then. When I, um, I was a supplier to Flex before I joined the company and I used to come to our pulse centers. Uh, so we have these collaboration centers where we show our dashboards on a wall that, uh, you know, like a curved wall in this building where everybody can work together and their touch screen and kind of like, a, it's like a movie. Um, and I used to come to, to Flex and I would have data envy because it was just so rich. And now I come to the other side and I recognize just how uh, valuable the information is. And we are able to get down, when, we, when you think about the thousand customers, 16,000 suppliers, a million SKUs that we're managing, I can see that at a, a global level, I can drill down with a touch to a, a local site to where I may have a shortage, to what the last communication was 
uh, with the supplier on that shortage, all available to us real time. So it's been tremendously beneficially, even when I think about managing through COVID or the shortages, we've created specific dashboards that help us uh, manage our business. And it's available to our, we have about 10,000 uh, global procurement and supply chain specialists within the organization. So it's that single source of truth, the, the way in which we manage our business. And it's, just, it's not just the supply chain either, we use it to, to manage all aspects of our business. So it's really you know, ingrained in part of our culture. And when I hear companies now talking about wanting to invest or, you know, look at digitalization of their supply chain, um, one, I feel very lucky that that we have done this and we've already done it, but it does make a tremendous difference that because it it enables the decision-making by giving you that the source of data that you need to make that decision. Yeah. And especially with that huge number of SKUs, you know, there's no way you're going to you're going to be able to figure out where the where the big issues are, where the priorities are, how you can deal with those without having without having the raw data, but also the analytics and um, the support on that. Are you using any AI on top of that? Uh, oh, oh, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. We, do, okay. we do, do a lot, um, you know, to help us with our, our pricing models, with our negotiations, but hmm. also uh, with the supply chain. And uh, there's a lot of work um, understanding, you know, what how we can use the data yeah. within Flex, because Flex is very yeah. data rich. So we've, yeah. we've targeted and, and addressed some of the obvious areas, you know, pricing methodologies, you know, how we can help our teams negotiate, but looking more at advances of, of how we can, uh, you know, better utilize that to be more predictive in the future. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. I think it is a huge data play. And uh, anybody that's thinking now is the time to get data installed and get data ready, you are very, very late to the party yeah. um, and already suffering the problems. Hey, I wanted to come back on the logistics issue, if I could, real quick. And Don, you referenced it there uh, briefly, but I wanted to come back within your business. I'm assuming most of your components that, you, that you're sourcing are coming from Asia. Uh, correct me here where I'm wrong. Uh no, no, not really. If you look at it, I mean, obviously there's a lar large volume that are coming, but you got to remember the components that we distribute. There's still a lot with, uh, I'm going to say, America's based, uh, not so much coming out of Europe anymore, although there is still come some out of Europe. And Asia based, uh, it's not all China. So a lot of it's coming out of, uh, you know, Malaysia, Taiwan. Uh, Philippines, Vietnam. So we've, you know, definitely the suppliers have diversified uh, quite a bit. Uh, some of it, uh, I'll say, post Section 301 China tariffs, you know, they, they, they moved some of the stuff around. But in our business, it had never moved all the way to, uh, over to China the way the semiconductor, uh, I'll say, industry had moved. So, you know, that's, okay. again, I, I view it as a big positive with the supply chain issues with the yeah, and my follow-up on that was going to be the mode of transportation. I'm assuming a lot of that is airborne freight. Is that correct? It, it was. You, I mean, <laughs> part of yeah, part of it is. If you, well, if you go look at it now, I mean, you know, I, I was in a meeting with a, a UPS executive just a few weeks ago, and obviously, I had more questions for 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 her than than uh, she had for me. Uh, but you know, they only fly 19% of their freight. Uh, she actually, this is the first I've heard this 
than she predicted it would be 2024 before air freight is back to, uh, I'll say some form of balance. And that's because of the wide body jets being flown back and forth. Um, you know, uh, there's, you know, we're still not traveling internationally anywhere mm -hmm. near what we did. Uh, so, you know, the air freight piece of it, obviously we ship quite a bit, you know, sea containers, but the sea container shortage, the chassis shortage, the truck driver shortage, the rail shortage, all of those things, you know, I've got a transportation team that knows how to get product in any and every port in in the Americas, and it doesn't matter. And they 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 switch on a dime if they have to, uh, in order to get it. I would like to remind all the customers: I cannot fly helicopters out to those sea contain and get a sea container off one of those ships. Uh, <laughs> I, I've been asked to do that more than once, uh, and you know it's just not possible. But uh, you know, I look at it that I think the suppliers and the capacity issues I feel much better about today than I did six months ago. Uh, but the transportation, I don't feel good. I don't feel good at all. I don't think that we're, uh, I don't see an end in sight, in sight where it's going to get back to where it's going to be uh, as free and easy to move the product. It will never go back to the former cost rates. A lot of this, the sea shipments, those companies were not making money, so they didn't invest. So, you know, there's no investment in the technology. The tracking is very archaic. Uh, and they weren't making any money on the shipments anyway. And obviously we're all paying considerably more. We don't talk in percentages, we talk in multiples, multiples freight yes. cost increases. You know, my incoming freight year to date is, is quadrupled from what it was last year, and it was high last year. So those are the type numbers. That's huge. Um, what I was curious about, and you know, you've kind of answered that question, um, Don, in terms of the, the logistics, we're not over the hump. We're not, you know, what's ahead is as bad as what's behind and possibly worse. With respect to components, are we in that situation? Have we got past the worst? Do we not know? Are we just kind of managing on a day-to-day -day basis? Lynn, do you think they, the worst is ahead or behind us? I think we have a ways to go yet. Um, you know, I talk on a very regular basis with the suppliers that are, you know, constrained at this point. Um, a lot of the investments that were made for uh, additional capacity were made you know, earlier this year, but the out, true output or meaningful output will probably come in the you know, May-June timeframe. But that's only for some of the commodities. Some of the other commodities, it's going to stretch you know, well through next year into 2023. And that kind of estimation that we have right now is kind of where we sit today, uh, because it's been a, it's been a bit of a moving target because of the shocks that I talked about earlier that that had impact. So, if it kind of remains steady state, I I think we'll see relief uh, some time some relief in the second half of next year. Um, if something changes, either a supply chain impact or maybe we see a reducing in demand, uh, then that could change that timing uh, of when we start to see recovery, but I'm yeah. kind of gearing up for another year. Another another year of pretty much the same. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. And I, I think it's interesting what you say about um, a slowdown in demand. And a couple of companies have told me that they suspect there's a lot of overordering in the market. So when there is that slowdown in demand, there might be quite a substantial 
um, correction there. Don, do you agree with Lynn in terms of timing? Plenty of plenty of disruption ahead. Yeah, I, I agree. Next next year, this is definitely going to go well into next year. Uh, you know, I've been asked that question, you know, every month for the past year and a half, and and I'm I'm still sticking pretty pretty good that the first half is going to continue. Uh, I'll say the booking rates. We're seeing the number of orders stabilize. The actual I'll say a dollar amount tied to the bookings uh, continues to go up, but a lot of that are price increases. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the, the bookings numbers uh, continue to accelerate for us, but the, we watch the number of orders, the number of parts, and we've seen that. When I say level off, it's leveled off at record, you know, record levels, so the orders are still coming in. Um, you know, I, I, I do believe we're seeing some commodities, some technologies get better uh, to where you know, obviously Lynn is right in the middle of the complex semiconductors and what, the automotive uh, industry shortage uh, in semiconductors. So we don't really distribute the complex semiconductors. We've got the MOSFETs, the discretes, a little bit of logic. Uh, you know, so, you know, we're seeing constraints there, but our model is built that we, we inventory much deeper and broader uh, we're, we're part of Berkshire Hathaway, but we're, you know, we're operated like a privately held company. So we're not under the scrutiny of Wall Street of turning inventory. Uh, so that that model is all put in place 50 years ago. And, and Warren, you know, after he bought the company said, don't change it. So they're not trying, trying to squeeze, you know, squeeze uh, capital out of it. Uh, but we, we've seen actually our inventory uh, continued to be high up through October of last year. So we were able to keep the inventory levels up. And again, that's part of the systems and algorithms that are built in our systems that we're able to anticipate some of the needs. Now we did not anticipate uh, the demand going as high or lasting as long uh, in this cycle as, as what has happened. I don't think anybody could have predicted that. If I had, they would have probably terminated me, called me crazy, but, um, but then we uh, inventory, I'm gonna say trickled down uh, and dropped from a peak in October to May to where it dropped about 7% is all. And that's our on-hand inventory. Our own order went up dramatically. Lead time's going out. Our inventory since the middle of May has, has increased each week. Uh, and I can tell you that uh, the inventory here in the Americas, I'm gonna speak specifically about it, it's up 25% from that May low point. So that's a sign the capacity, the, the suppliers, that re, the resiliency of our suppliers, they've come through and been able to deliver uh, quite a bit more to us. But I still have pockets. You know, some of the, you know, CRCW resistors uh, that are right now going through a cycle that, and they're very inexpensive parts, but there's not enough of the large case sizes to go around. Uh, so I've got, you know, customers that, you know, nobody's calling it allocation, but definitely there's severe constraints. Uh, and I'm not, I, I place an order and they say, I need 10 million. And they say, I can give you 4 million. Uh, so to me, that's allocation. Uh, yeah. but, so I am seeing pockets towards getting better. Um, you know, my, it, this cycle has been a little different. Customers, uh, and uh, Lynn can comment here, the, the EMS uh, companies are holding more inventory than they traditionally would in this cycle. The distributors typically uh, I'll say 
served that purpose. I'm not going to say solely, but a huge portion of it. Now we're all trying to increase our inventories, but the customers and the EMS companies in particular have been able to take a different stance. And part of it is their customers are telling them, we'll get the products that you can get now when the, uh, I'll say constrained products show up. I want to make sure that I can ship. So that we're watching that closely. I'm not concerned about flex or the large companies. I am concerned about the small to medium size. What does it do to their cash flow? Can they weather uh, holding on to that inventory for a long time? And, you know, obviously we're here to help with that. We can help uh, with our size to help uh, fund some of that ourselves. But, you know, I'm really concerned what happens if their customers cancel. We're not seeing customers cancel. We're seeing customers reschedule and push out mainly in the automotive part of the business. Uh, We haven't seen it widespread in any other parts of our business. Interesting. Lynn, how can you add to that? Yeah, I would say, Don, it sounds like you're talking to some of the customers that I have, (laughs) but it's um, because we we do have higher levels of inventory than we would typically have, but primarily it's because of clear to build issues. You know, you bring in an entire bill of materials and you're missing a device, so you you can't build the product. Um, Mm -hmm. And there has been... Uh, a period of time where we were receiving some last minute decommits from, from suppliers. So we, we, we'd have all that material in and then uh, find out some of the, you know, we call it, you know, the golden, the golden screw or, you know, the, the one piece that's preventing it. And then of course, what our customers are saying is, you know, bring, bring all that in. I'll personally work with you on this shortage with the supplier. So as soon as we're able to resolve that, you can build and you know I can get that revenue. So it's, it's a challenging game and that's where I think these really close discussions have to take place mm-hmm. um, because you know, typically EMS, it's a low margin business or not typically, it's a, it's a low margin business and inventory velocity plays a big role in how uh, we manage our financials. So we need to work very closely with our, our customers and suppliers uh, because there's a lot of timing that, that has to take place there uh, to, to make sure we're able to turn that into revenue. So very challenging times um, mm. during this time and certainly um, continuing to watch closely our, our global inventory levels. Yeah, inventory is huge, isn't it? And we've had this huge swing from just in time to just in case. And I'm curious if that pendulum's swung too far and how quickly or whether it will swing back or whether our attitudes to inventory have um, fundamentally changed. What do you think, Lynn? Do you think inventory is no longer the enemy? Well, I, I, you know, I think, I don't think it's the enemy, but I do think that, you know, over the past few decades, our supply chains have been built on to be, you know, low cost any efficient and they worked brilliantly for for many years in that model until they did not um and that's what we're we're dealing with uh today is the the significant ramifications not just in our industry but in every industry so i think a lot of customers are rethinking their global uh, the design of their supply chain Mm. um and really everybody wants to talk about a resilient supply chain um, and which is great. You want to be agile and resilient, but there's a cost associated with the truly resilient supply chain. And that's where sometimes it gets a little stuck. 
because you know we want customers that want the lowest cost solution in the highest cost region or or areas where the the, the skill set just isn't there. So I think as as customers are really thinking about the supply chain of the future, they need to take a lot of considerations involved in that design. In mm. some cases, a, a single global manufacturing strategy may make sense because of the product they, they are developing and ship it all over the world. In other cases, more regionalized strategies will make more sense so they can build closer to their end market, reduce freight and logistics challenges um, and costs associated with that. But a lot of things need to be considered. Uh, and I highly recommend, you know, part of it is just taking that first step, doing the analysis, understanding the, the corporate goals and directions that are being given, and then determining how to design a supply chain that meets those requirements. Yeah. Lynn, you've just answered my next five questions, which is a bit inconvenient, <laughs> but I think, we could, I think we could do a whole, a whole show or series on the supply chain of the future, because I think people are thinking long and hard about it and the regionalization issue constantly comes up. The, you know, the role of inventory comes up. I think there's a requirement in supply chain and in product to design for disruption. So you can, you know, prepare yourself for shortages in different ways. So, um, you know, I think there are a whole bunch of issues there. I keep coming back to one word when I'm thinking about supply chain time and time again, and that word is shorter. Should we be fundamentally thinking about shorter supply chains? Because maybe that takes out some of the risk. It takes out some of the logistics problems. It feels better in terms of sustainability. Is that is that a word that comes up when, when you guys are discussing supply chain or am I just being way too simplistic? Well, I, I would say from a flex perspective, you know, we have long been down the path of regionalizing our supply chain whenever we can. You know, we, we have manufacturing sites all over the world. And certainly when you look at the heavier uh, products that we may, may source or procure, when you look at mechanical products, plastics, packaging, you know, we've always looked to develop suppliers close to our manufacturing locations. Um, so we have a lot of experience with that. In some cases, you know, it's easily done. In other cases, you struggle a bit more to, to find the required uh, suppliers and skill sets that you need. When you talk about uh, the semiconductor products, for instance, you know, there have been a lot of, it's very expensive to build a fab and it's very cheap to ship those products around the world. So that isn't something that we've been able to, to localize. So I think there's always going to be the, a complexity um, in a global supply chain, kind of always think like localize what you can, you know, uh, is always a good idea, but it's not always the, the achievable. And secondly, you, you mentioned the design, designing for supply chain resiliency. When your customer is looking at a bill of materials, very often you have the sole sourced part, uh, you know, from a manufacturer and uh, somewhere in the world where there could be impacts for a variety of reasons. And in, some, in cases where you're not able to mitigate that because the technology is so unique, then inventory can be a strategy. In other cases, de-risk that design of this, the bomb by looking at alternative products that you can bring in uh, to, that are sourced from different parts of the world. So I think long-term and you know, long-term, the five to 10 year strategy has to be looking at how do we de-risk our supply chains? Um, and still be as effective and efficient as we can. 
I add, add something to, to that? Yeah. I mean, I was going to say you're in the inventory business. Yeah, so. yeah, that, yeah. That, that is our business and everything. And and I think part of the just-in-time model that was put in place, it was used too broadly. It was a broad brush approach. And I think you have to look at the different products. You know, we we go in and as I described earlier, we sell a lot of the less expensive products that you know we had customers you know buying and taking delivery 97 times during a year and these are less than two cent parts so i think you know going in and look at the the frequency as well as the models do you do you need to be just in time on a two cent resistor uh, or do you go in and should you be ordering once a quarter or once a year uh, so I think, you know, the supply chain and putting the thought uh, and, and, you know, the, I'll say the thorough thinking into what needs to be in what type of a, a program. Um, I think that's part of the complexity that Len was talking about. But I think you need to sort of think through that and to, to make sure that you're not treating all things equal. Yeah. Let me, um, I'm going to wrap here in a moment, but I just realized we did get an, uh, a, an question from the audience, so to speak. So I was gonna pose it because it's an interesting. They say that in addition to the component shortages, the industry is experiencing serious people shortages as well. And do you consider people as part of your supply chains? And you know, so how does that factor into it? Len, you're nodding already. <laughs> nodding already, yes, because uh, people are critical uh, to managing our supply chains. Even when I think about, you know, you have ERP systems that, that manage production flows and everything, but it's supply chain professionals who make intelligent decisions with the data available to them that keeps everything running. So I absolutely think the core value that Flex brings, uh, one of the core values is our supply chain competency and leadership. And that is because of the supply chain people we have. Mm -hmm. And I do worry, uh, about our employees, especially like fatigue um, or, you know, the, being isolated, working from home, having the challenging discussions about shortages, because every, you could be very strategic until there's a shortage, then it's about resolving the shortage. So um, we're trying to keep motivating our employees, keep, keep ensure they understand how valuable they are, encouraging them, take time off. The shortage is going to be here tomorrow. You know, not yeah. everything's not going to get resolved each day. So I consider our, our people assets the most, one of the most valuable things we have at Flex. And yeah. it's something we, we invest in them, uh, you know, training and opportunities. Uh, and from my point, one of the things I, I think every company can do is, is take the time to thank, thank, thank a supply chain professional today, uh, you know. Recognize the efforts and and the stress that's associated with these roles today, because we, yeah. we need our, our supply chain teams working for the long haul. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely huge. And Eric, with your with your psychology background, I think a business that is supply chain manager therapy would be uh, would be something that's really really interesting. Because they, they are under <laughs> so much stress, and you know they they do need a big thank you because they're the people that are getting you know, getting products to, to the end user. Yeah. Don, what would you say about the human side of it? Well, if you, I mean, if you've, if you've seen any of our last marketing that's been rolled out over the past six months, the human component, you know, we happen, you know, we, we talk a lot about it. We, TTI, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary. Uh, Paul Andrews Jr., who started the, the company 50 years ago, passed away 24 hours 
uh, before that exact day that he started the company. So we look at it and, and Paul uh, built the company from a people perspective. So the whole human component piece of it, we look at it that all the tools, all the inventory, none of it's worth anything if we don't have the human component there. We happen to believe our success, our ability to grow from this little small distributor in Fort Worth, Texas to a global $7.5 billion entity, uh, it, it's all on the backs of the people. And that's what makes the difference. So, you know, it's, and it's, you know, we, we've got people that do, you know, all types of jobs. It's from our warehouse people to our IT people, or not to mention the sales people, the supply chain, the product people, uh, you know, so it takes all of it to make this thing work. So uh, if, you, if you guys saw my list of the things that keep me up at night, I've already mentioned the transportation piece, uh, but we've got the, the people issue, both attracting the talent because the, the, the market out there is really difficult. Uh, and then second, uh, the, the uh, succession plan, the age of the industry uh, and the number of people that uh, are set to retire or reach retirement age over the next 10 years. If I were to share those numbers with you, it'd keep you up at night too. Uh, mm. But it's, it's a large number, myself included. In the next 10 years, you know, we've got a huge uh, part of the population and we're trying to figure out how to attract younger talent into a business that when I came into it was thought of as high tech. It's not mm. thought of as much as being high tech. Software is more in that direction or crypto or something. Uh, to, so, you know, we're trying to make it sexy again. Uh, and we happen to believe it is. Look at the customers that we get to deal with. Look at the size of the entities uh, and, you know, SpaceX, I was out. And, you know, pre, right before COVID was one of my last trips. And I was like a 12-year-old kid again. And it's, you know, and I get to see the rockets being built in the control center and in, in this industry something. But the people piece of it, it's what's going to, it's the secret sauce behind TTI. And it's going to be the secret to the long-term success. Yeah, I think it's a really exciting industry. And I just feel bad that we spent the last hour telling people how hard it is. Um, <laughs> But, you know, fundamentally, it's very, very, very rewarding. And there's, um, yeah, lots of lots of great work to be done and lots of fantastic products. I always come away from CES blown away by by the products and the uh, the innovation I see there, but also blown away by the by the talent that's in the industry that that's um, bringing those products to market. Yeah, well, good. Listen, we could keep talking on. I still have a whole page of questions and I won't ask them. So um, so in respect to your time, I want to thank you both, Lynn and Don, for, for sharing with us. I'm sure the audience appreciates it. Um, hopefully uh, we can get a catch up maybe in uh, 2022 after that that first half has passed that Don says will be the worst of it. So uh, we'll check on, on his forecast. I'm not sure I want to be the only one quoted on that. <laughs> I don't think you are now. No, okay. Everybody's <laughs> making predictions. They all are. And they're always starting to extend, I've noticed. So, uh, you know, so, but listen, thank you both very much. Let me wish you both a uh, happy Thanksgiving next week as well. And uh, happy holidays as we end the new year. Um, thank you both very much for your time today. It's greatly appreciated. Great. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here.